I'm Carol Coletta, and this is Night Cities. Is it time for a new kind of local civic economy? Tessie Britton thinks so. She and her colleagues at Civic Systems Lab are building a civic infrastructure where people can teach skills and learn new ones. It's part sharing economy, part neighborliness. I asked Tessie about the Civic Systems Lab and what she calls the new civic economy she is attempting to build. The word engagement is often used, um, and I think probably in the States, it's often used about engaging in democratic processes. And participation is often referred to that in that way. Are people participating in the democratic systems that we set up? I think where where we are looking at at the moment with Civic Systems Lab is um, particularly in the more recent projects that we're doing is actually seeing that we can perhaps build on that notion of participating in, in formal representation, democratic systems, and think about how a peer-to-peer co-production of activities projects locally actually sets up something which is we think is is a is rather different from the sort of representative or the challenge or the consumer kind of work or charity kind of work that we're used to seeing so we think that there's something new to be developed and that's kind of what we're testing and putting into practice at the moment to see how how all of that works peer-to-peer co-production describe what you mean by that and and uh, provide some examples Sure. So a lot of our our work really comes from the research we've done over the last five years, noticing that there are new emerging kinds of projects which didn't fit um, community-led projects, which didn't fit in, didn't conform to other kinds of projects that we saw. So part of a representation, they weren't responding to top-down initiatives. They were people who were working in quite small groups and we're in many ways adopting methods and ways of thinking far closer to sort of lean startup kind of uh, methodologies being adopted, you know, in business where people would see what was available to them, think about what they could make with it, create something, test it on the ground. These are people who weren't waiting for funding streams or writing bids or waiting for anything else. They were trying to, uh, they were working in a much more emergent way. So we've kind of done a study of these and we've now got quite a considerable number of them where we've looked for the patterns and how they work and could actually see something in them which could potentially transform society in a, in quite a fundamental way. So I think the peer-to-peer co-production is really thinking about two peers coming together to um, basically produce something which wasn't one person with who had something giving to another person who had needs. So one of the projects that we've been doing in in our open works project is called The Great Cook. And basically that involves one person offers to teach a recipe. Everyone brings one of the ingredients. They batch cook and everyone takes meals home. So in that model, um, everyone is contributing and benefiting in the same action. And we think that kind of model just feels very different from a lot of the the work that we've been promoting in in this country. And a lot of these examples are actually from the States. So we see this as very much an emerging kind of phenomena that we're trying to see if we can actually change the system so that they're better suited to supporting this kind of work. Your comments, Tessie, raise at least two questions for me. One is, is this I love the notion of it. Uh, I can picture what you're talking about, the great cook. But 
can you imagine that evolving in a way that provides someone a real income that one can live off of? I mean, or is this always a, a side piece of, of the economy and of life? Where we where we think this, this work really is going to, first of all, we, we're basically one year into, into putting this stuff on the ground and seeing is, is this actually possible and what does it, what are the effects of it and is it economically viable? So we're at the early stages of it. Where we think, where we think it fits within the whole system is that at the moment, I don't know whether you've got similar di- dynamics in, in America um, that we have here, but we have a lot of people living disadvantaged. I'm sure that's the case. And we have a lot of people working, living disadvantaged. Um, one of our funders is called Lankelly Chase Foundation, and their work is very focused on looking at people with severe and multiple disadvantages and how people respond to that. And that's a lot of the focus of that is, is how professionals provide good programs for people who are in those situations and try to help them into sort of very uh, independent and, and secure lives going forward. I think where, where we've identified a gap is when people re-enter society, society isn't always providing good pathways whether it's into society in general, whether it's into new employment, um, if it's into education, two routes incidentally where people put a lot of resource in to helping people progress through that. In this country, we've got one of the lowest rates of social mobility in, in the world. So there is a gap here between people transitioning from situations where they need a lot of professional support to actually independent lives and we think that the sort of ecosystem of projects that we, so for example, in, in the open works, we, we've started 20 projects, but we would like to see in three years time that there could be 60 projects and that these projects aren't necessarily enterprises, but that they form a core of common infrastructure that is missing in society at the moment. So even things like other projects have, have started to see commissions and, and economic benefits, but they don't start from that point on. They've started as a, as a common infrastructure so that just imagining a neighborhood where everyone has somewhere where they can cook together, eat together, grow things together, fix stuff together, that kind of infrastructure is largely missing in most communities in this country. So it's kind of seeing what happens when you actually cre- create that landscapes which makes connections with people and emerging ideas fruitful. The other question that it raises for me is, as you say, that that this is uh, not involved with democratic structures and engagement. And certainly I understand there are lots of ways to define engagement. But I'm curious, I mean, if the democratic process ends up defining or shaping policy, if you will, policy ends up shaping the lives of poor people and the professional supports and even the communal infrastructure you're talking about. I mean, will that be provided or not? Do you sense that there is a way to create a bridge from what you're doing to participation in the democratic process, or do you think they're simply two separate things? I think that this is a new way of people to participate. And I think that where I think some of where we've got stuck a little bit is that the route to affecting policy and decision making is very much about affecting or making sure that that our taxes get directed in 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 an appropriate way. And a lot of the engagement, a lot of the voting is decision-making by proxy. So we vote for local councillors, people to represent our our thinking, our interests, and so on. 
and the democracy side of it is very much in our mind at the moment, trying to even think of what kind of name we could give it because there's so many add-ons to the word democracy that mean different things that we're a bit hesitant to actually put a name on it. But we know that, that the people, and we're gathering evidence for it at the moment, we're undergoing about 200 interviews with, with the 800 or so people that have taken part in the open work. So we're trying to understand better how they fit into the landscape. But we, anecdotally, we feel that a lot of people are involved in these projects are not people who uh, want to be part of the, the not part of redirect the formal representation. And I think that they are interested in it, but they prefer to be much more active, much more creative. And we're, what we're trying to figure out is where the overlap is and whether this kind of participation actually starts to go below the normal, underneath the surface of the, the normal levels of people that would get involved in neighborhood planning or um, councillors or forums where they want to inject their opinions and ideas into what professionals do and more to see if there's a there's a layer of participation where people actually do a lot themselves together. Mm-hmm. Let, let's go back. Does that and- make sense? It, it, it does. Um, it's something we struggle with uh, here at night as well, trying to understand, is there an ecosystem of civic engagement? Is there a pyramid? Is there a, a ladder? I mean, we've talked about a lot of different metaphors, but but somebody's going to make the rules. Somebody ultimately is going to vote and put people in office and those people will affect policy. So sure. um, we're, uh, you know, we are, I think, uh, disturbed when people find wonderful, beautiful ways to shape community, but don't carry that to voting because it seems at that point, again, your democracy is weakened. But but I want to come back to the to the programs you're actually providing. And I love the way you talk about them. Um, you know, you talk about the gap between needing with people who are disadvantaged, uh, between needing a lot of professional support to independent lives. And it and it sounds like the programs your your perspective on the programs you're providing would be to slot into that gap. And I presume that you then look at the programs you're providing as building skills, building confidence. Um, talk to me about what what that means to you. I mean, I think I think that the gaps are too wide in in the sense of what you've described. So confidence is a is a massive one. Very often, people from disadvantaged background they may be transitioning back into independent lives, but their lives might not be enough to hold a job. Many of them have have exited education quite some time ago, um, and find in this country at least it's quite hard to re-enter education, formal education, because of the competitive nature of it. So we think that this network, so that the projects that the, the, the way these projects have been designed are very specifically, very open, very low threshold, very um, low commitment, but they give very small opportunities for people to get more and more, meet more and more people and start to perhaps get an appetite for learning again, but just really kind of enjoy being part of something where it's not just the people that would need, but what would I would love to come out of this project is some evidence which shows that this reconfiguring, this reorganization of society involves the middle classes as well as the disadvantaged. And it's when they all bring their talents to bear that, that we can actually do this kind of reorganization. The criticism that we have of this kind of work is that it gets compared quite a lot to transition movement in this country that's quite dominated by 
middle classes. And I think that what we're trying to see here is if we can create a new kind of way of all sorts of people, all diversity of people mixing together. We've had a lot of policy in this country which has segmented and kept lots of people apart from whether they're cultural or religious. There was a natural social economic demographic where people are kind of kind of isolated from each other. So we think that this is a kind of a, a way that's almost a, a way of, of all these people to, to kind of plug in in very, very practical ways. And that was really one of the first things we identified when we saw these, these new kind of projects emerging is that they that the practicality of this work means that these are common denominator things that, that a lot of people would enjoy participating and would attract people from all sorts of different backgrounds. And that's kind of what we're seeing through the work that we're doing. But as I said, we're still we're still doing the we're still doing the research around it. Well it's fascinating because uh like what you're experiencing in U.S. communities, we see exactly the same thing. People are more isolated, they're more segregated. That works against upward mobility uh, for poor people. And so this this mixing is exactly what you want, and it's exactly what we're not getting. So I'm really interested to know what are the common denominator kinds of activities that you see will pull people from different economic circumstances to participate with one another? I mean, I think we've we've seen evidence that it's just very simple stuff, cooking, teaching each other stuff, repairing things, making stuff. We've got two collective shops, um, which we think are are significant ways that people can start to experiment with developing new livelihoods. So we've got a a range of, but all incredibly practical things we found are, they're more engaging in our experience than if if we'd opened the doors to the open works and we suggested that. Um, we were going to have a meeting about how the council worked. We know that we would get a certain types of people and we would get quite low numbers because even coming to a meeting like that involves an hour, two hours. Whereas we started in, in a shop front where people could come in the door one minute and walk out the next, but equally they could walk in the door and they could start a project the next day. So one of the sort of the, the infrastructural things around the project was to see if we could change the way that it that we that people could start things. So in this country, probably very similar to yourselves, people have to are encouraged to form small organisations, um, have bank accounts, have a constitution. Um, and what we've noticed with that really is that over time, what that has created, the, the small granting, top-down granting, which has largely been a single point of catalyzing this kind of activity, has created a very fragmented, very competitive landscape so that we've found groups that even are streets away who won't work with each other because one or other of them has had grant funding the previous year. So the result of 20 or 30 years of top-down grant giving in some places has left a very landscape full of small organisations all struggling to keep themselves sustainable, particularly with the kind of cuts that we've been experiencing, and very little collaborative capacity. So in some ways, we, some ways we're kind of I'm very interested in the narrative and the discussion in the States around collective impact because in lots of ways, we feel that we're, we're doing a version of collective impact that's much more on citizen and citizen and council working together rather than the focus, which has largely been in collective impact stuff that I've read. has been a lot. The emphasis isn't totally, but it's largely been on institutions working together to create this long-term change. And we think that what we're doing with this, this platform idea where people don't have to become organisations, they can become... We've got a network now 
of 800 people who are working together, many of them on overlapping projects. None of them have had to become organisations. We've handled the insurance. They haven't had to have any money through their accounts. We've supported them with small amounts of, you know, print and things, spaces and things like that. So we, we've wanted to see what happens if we change the whole system around participating in this way. And I think so far the results have been really exciting. I think your read on collective impact is, is quite right. And uh, it's something that I too am concerned about. So I think it's terrific that you're testing your ideas. Let me ask about some of those tests. I have to say you're fabulous at packaging the work you do and I can see that people of, of all incomes would be drawn to it. Uh, let me just ask you to talk about uh, two or three of them. I, I'm thinking about open book, trading spaces and out in the open. Describe what you're doing there and what you're testing. Out in the Open was, um, is part of the Open Works project. So this was really after we'd been in this neighbourhood for 10 months. Out in the Open was us pulling all the projects and creating a, a season so that we could start to show people what it would be like if this was part of everyday life. So if on a Tuesday you could choose to go to a trade school on a Wednesday, you could go and cook somewhere together. On a Thursday there might be a, a communion meal and on Saturday, you could go and plant some trees in the open orchards. So out in the open was really a season to um, see how people responded to having it as part of a kind of an everyday life experience rather than something extraordinary. Open Book is an entirely different project. And um, we're working with Essex Council through their libraries to see if we can develop a library as this participation platform in the same way that we've done that for the open work. So in this country, we've got a lot of library closing and people feel very passionate about it. There's an enormous amount of affection for libraries here. I'm sure there is in the States. And what's been happening is a sort of death by a thousand cuts um, with libraries here. So they're becoming a very, very thin version of what a library could be with sort of minimum hours, minimum staffing, and not this kind of rich vision of what a civic, what, what is one of the few public institutions that we still have in this country. So thinking about how it become, can become more of an outcome generating platform of activity. And so rather than community owned in the sense that the library function gets done by volunteers, which is still quite a small model of what a library could be thinking about if there was a lot of outcome generating project, whether it could attract investment from different kinds of departments or different kinds of funders. So that we were in the very early stages. We, we were only sort of four weeks into the open book project and one of the libraries that we're looking at. But we see libraries as, as a real potential to become places where you could do more of this. Also described trading spaces. Trading spaces were, is really a concept at the moment. Um, we did start to do that in one area in South London, but we realised, of course, how com complex we'd made it. But trading spaces is the idea, really, that a lot of these, these participatory projects could have partnerships with high street shops. There's, there are some natural affinities where, at the moment, high street shops in this country struggle. Um, we've had a lot of programmes trying to, to revitalise them but they're suffering from the internet, from the economy and so on. In West Norwood, in fact, most of the activity, because we've been in a shop front, a lot of the activity has been centred across the high street and thinking how some of these projects can integrate with some of the businesses. So we've done it to some degree, implemented it in some degree. We've got the one of the collective shops is in a shop which is 
by an organization called Larch, which is a charity looking uh, working with people with learning disabilities. Um, so there's a shared shop we created with them. We started a Sunday soup, which is actually grown from one of the projects in, in America. We, we've held those in one of the local restaurants. So we have created quite a few partnerships with, with retail where we think that there's, and that can be done, that we think can be extended much further. So there's open orchard, um, should we should they be making connections with the local greengrocer um, and how do they support one another? So it's really just seeing how this new kind of participatory culture can work more closely and more in partnership with, with retailers. So that's where that's come from. Why it's taken so long is, of course, that we there needs to be change on both sides. So shopkeepers need to change the way they think, but we also need to stimulate more of these types of projects which would fit well within within these shops and so on. You've done a lot of these tests now. If you could summarize your learning, Tessie, what would you say? I think some of this work is groundbreaking and incredibly exciting and has great potential. I think that our challenge in Civic Systems Lab is that we're a small organization. We don't want to grow into a massive duplicating machine. We want to create an open source model where we we document um, enough of this research and thankfully we've got a grant to do that um, at the moment on the open work um, and we want to take this to we want to take this really to the next level for so the next projects we want we want the next three or five year projects where we where we work in really tough areas to see because I think that that there are places in 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 the UK where so many different kinds of interventions have failed to make a headway and I think that this approach could really makes a significant transformation in some places so i think what we're learning is that we have to all of the all of the the work that we've done over the last year in particular i mean a year ago we these things were ideas and so i think we've proved the feasibility of being able to create a platform that has multiple outcome generating projects which in effect have a kind of a distributed effective outcomes that that can't necessarily be produced by services alone so I think that we've made headway, but we, we still need to develop the work further and put it into and really start to test the, the ideas and, and ourselves really in making it effective for, for, for people that, that it really matters. Because at the end of the day, if we're not affecting equalities, if we're not affecting poverty, if we're not reorganizing society in a way which, which improves it, then I think it's a waste of time. When you talk about reorganizing society, I'm sure that threatens some people. But as you describe the work, I think it's it's not threatening at all. It's thrilling. What is the typical reaction you get when you talk about your work? And have you found ways to talk about it that make it more palatable, let's say, to those who might be threatened uh, when you talk in those terms? I think, to be honest, we've, we've, we've tried not to talk about it too much. I used to blog a lot. I used to sort of blog quite early thoughts and put them out there. And I think over the last two years, I've kind of stopped doing that because I think that we still, we don't want to draw conclusions too early. I think there is a growing awareness here that a lot of things haven't worked. So for example, we've had a lot of, there's always been a government ambition, whether it was Labour or Conservative, to have thriving communities. That ambition has never been lost, but it's actually the mechanics of how you help create that where I think what we're doing is a little bit different. But I think the threats, the threats come not from the senior level, 
or the big narratives. I think the threats to it come on a day-to-day day -to -day level where you're challenging people's assumptions, you're asking them to change the way they work, to develop new skills, to stay open to those sorts of things are, are how a system that's trying to change itself kind of fights back on a, on a quite a personal one-to-one -one level rather than on a big system level. I think the system can remain cynical until it's seen the evidence. And the problem with this work is that most of it looks quite, although it's complex on the inside, we try and make it as simple as possible on the outside. And the complexity of it gives it that kind of the richness and the, the potential for transformation. But it also, we need to work out how we communicate that in a way which doesn't put people off and makes it intelligible. That's our challenge a lot that we're coming up to. We're just about to sort of enter that period. It's fascinating work, Tessie. Thanks so much for sharing it with us on Night Cities. It's a pleasure. Thank you for, for calling me, Carol. Tessie Britton is director of the Civic Systems Lab. You can follow us on Twitter at hashtag Night Cities and at C. Coletta. Sign up for our newsletter at nightfoundation.org forward slash podcast to get the five things you should know from this interview and others. You've been listening to Night Cities. I'm Carol Coletta.